Prepare yourself to invest a few minutes with the Make Each Click Count podcast to discover new details in how to accelerate your sales and profits while making sure you're getting the absolute most out of your online marketing dollars. Hosted by Andy Spiegel, who's been running paid click campaigns for his clients for 20 plus years. Join us and discover what's working today and start making each click count. Without further ado, here's the acclaimed author of the Make Each Click Count book series, the founder of True Online Presence, the founder of Make Each Click Count University, and the host with the most, Andy Spiegel. Welcome to the Make Each Click Count podcast. This is your host, Andy Spleichel. We're happy to welcome this week's guest to discuss today's topic, which is what was learned studying a billion dollars of ad spend. Today's guest is a Forbes 30 under 30 lister and founder of Chamber Media, a growth and video agency with 100 employees that has tripled the revenue of six multi-million dollar DTC companies, driven 600 million in tracked revenue, managed 100 million in ad spend, currently makes 3,000 plus videos a month for ads on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest. A big hello to Travis Chambers. Hi, Travis. Hi, how's it going? It's going great. I'm happy you could join us. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Now, to start off, in the bio, it says you were a under 30 lister. So let's start there. I heard there's a funny story behind how you got on this list. What is that story, if you don't mind sharing? The Forbes list? Yeah, yeah, the Forbes list. So um, so I, I didn't think I had much of a shot, but um, I, I was like, okay, if I'm a chief media hacker, th that's what I call my job title, then I should be able to figure out how to hack this thing. So what I did is I went and I asked the most famous friend that I had if I could nominate myself from, from her. Uh -huh. So I'm like, look, you don't have the time to fill out all this stuff. I'll fill it out. Can I nominate as, as you? She said, fine. So then I had her tweet it out. And then I just went on a spree to try and get everyone I could to retweet her tweet uh -huh. and mentioning the Forbes um, editors. And it just got their attention. It got their attention. And then um, I had the revenue growth to pass their, their checks where they like get your tax, re uh, tax returns and stuff to, to just validate your business. Growth. Sure, sure. And, uh, and that was it. And I think if I just would have had a random person apply or nominate me or whatever, I, I just don't think, you know, I don't think I would have got it. How, how famous was the person who nominated? I'd say like, I'd say like mainstream, like mid, mid sized famous, but like internet wise, like mega famous Laura Clary. She's, she's got like seven or 8 million followers or something like that. Okay. Okay. And today you make funny videos and you've grown your age say from 20 to hundred employees a year, all while adhering to a four day work week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how are you doing it? So it was uh, about two years ago where we thought, man, this is kind of hard to run this business. And, you know, it would be nice to just have Fridays off where uh -huh. people don't bug us and, but it also is just maybe the right thing to do because when I when I was working in the ad agency business in Los Angeles, I just couldn't find a job that had less than 55, 60 hours a week. It was just 
the industry is just, it's a consuming job. It's a consuming industry. I think a lot of people, especially move into LA that, that um, are probably willing, willing to work for less and work more hours in order to advance their careers. <clears throat> and I had a, a kid at home. And so I just didn't have that luxury. And so um, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just start my own ad agency and maybe we'll just innovate enough where people can work 35, 40 hours a week and still, we could still do well. And so it was a few years in where we actually started to have some employees and a a real sizable team instead of just, you know, two or three of us. And so I thought, hmm, maybe I I saw some articles come out about the four day work week. Um, They had tested it in in New Zealand. They had done a, a study on it. And then they had also uh, tested it somewhere. Some company in Japan had tested it. So we thought, oh, let's give it a shot. And if it doesn't work, we'll just go back to it. And at that time, I think we were, yeah, 10 employees, 12 employees, something like that. Yeah. And in that two-year span, um, we've grown. And now I think we're one of the biggest ad agencies in our specific niche within the industry. And uh, we've done it you know, without people really working more than 40 hours a week, 35 Interesting. hours a week. Now, does that, ha- has nothing to do with the Tim Ferriss four-day work week? You know, I did read that book and and that Tim Ferriss was actually the first light bulb that went off in my head that, hey, maybe I could be an entrepreneur. Maybe I could uh, start a business one day. But I never really believed that the four-day, four-hour work week was possible and I still just don't think you can really do anything really great um, on four hours a week. But, um, but it, was, it was what set the light bulb off, you know, it was what like shed light on the path. Um, the book that really drove it home though, the book I would recommend everyone read that wants mm-hmm. to eventually start their own business is the $100 startup because the four day, four day, the four hour work week's really trying to get you, it's a very sensational title. It's a, it's a promise that I don't think is very realistic. The hundred dollar work week, the hundred dollar startup makes a very practical uh, leap into how you could do this. And it just overviews dozens of businesses that were started for a hundred dollars. And mine, I started my business for a hundred dollars because when you're starting a company, you know, 90% of companies require a lot of capital, a lot of connections, a lot of privilege. Uh, for lack of a better term. And uh, other than being white and having a a good education, I didn't have a ton of that. I didn't have a ton of connections. I didn't have a ton of capital and stuff like that. So when I read that book, that's when it became real. I thought, man, I could start an ad agency for a hundred bucks for a business license and uh, I'll just start selling my time. Interesting. You know, let me go back because I am curious. I, I also got started in a Los Angeles ad agency um, in the Miracle Mile area. So I'm curious, who who was it that you were with, if you don't mind saying? So I was at Crispin Porter and Bogusky. Okay. Um, the, and, uh, and that was great. I was only like 45, 50 hours a week there. That was pretty manageable. And then I went to 20th Century Fox and worked at um, an internal agency there called McBeard. And... Uh, part of the reason I had to work so many hours is I was just so out of my depth and I had to, I had to put in a lot more time in order to do the stuff that people were probably getting done in 50, 55 hours. 
Uh-huh. Um, and it was, you know, it was like eight or nine hours a day, seven days a week was kind of what, what I was having to do. And there was a lot of late night deadlines that were due like the next morning. And it was just crazy. What, 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 uh, what agency were you at? I was with, uh, Italia gal. Cool. So they had uh, smart and final and Del Taco were, were some of their big clients. So the question I wanted to the chamber media, what you guys did is you went and you, you took and you studied 50,000 ads with $1 billion in ad spend and tried to figure out the formula. What, why did you decide to do this and, and what came out of the study? So we have always made really big production videos. And uh, up until three or four years ago, that was, that was what worked the best. Is a, is a long video ad that's high production that, you know, it's like the Dollar Shave Club thing. Uh-huh. But then uh, ads started to get more expensive and uh, Facebook ads came out. We started before Facebook video ads existed. We were mostly just YouTube ads. And Facebook ads just kind of changed things where you could run smaller pieces of content. You could run two, three second videos. You weren't just trying to prevent people from skipping anymore. Now it was an impression game. Now it was, can I get five seconds of someone's time? Can I get eight seconds of someone's time? It wasn't really like, can I get them to skip this ad and then keep them here as long as possible? Uh And so what happened is our success rate with these larger production videos, it just started to go down. And we started to see some other people who were only running image ads or kind of like very quick videos. In some cases, we're outperforming some of our big production videos. And that's when we thought, okay, there's something wrong here. We need to really look at what we're doing and why. And that was about three, four years ago. And that's where we kicked off this project. Um, And so we put a team on analyzing every ad that we had ever created, but we also went and we scraped the top 1% of the top 2000 Shopify stores ads. And, and we, we put them all into a database. Once we got all those codified and titled by a diff, dozen different parameters, by, uh, by every characteristic really that we could find within the ad with meta tags and stuff. At, at this point, we had a database of 50,000 ads and we started to see patterns Uh We started to realize that of a hundred different ad types that we had identified, they seem to fall into seven different categories. And so that's when we completely changed how we do business is with this approach of the foundational, uh, the seven foundational ads. Well, that's great. Don't, don't keep us in suspense. What are, what are those seven foundations? Yeah. Let me see. I might have to pull them up. Sometimes I, I have a hard time remembering each one. So there's a spokesperson ad. There is a closer. There is a um, product demo, lifestyle, social proof, case study. And I'm missing one. I'm going to have to pull these up. And so a successful ad needs to have one of these seven or multiple of the seven? Uh, Rather, an ad account should have all seven of these ads. They have every every brand should make each of these seven ads and and test them. 
Now it gets crazier. Not, not every, um, some ads work better in, in certain industries. It's really crazy. And I'll, I'll go through some of that stuff. I'm just pulling up the, uh, the seven, um, foundational ads right here. Great. Okay. Did you find what number seven was? I'll find it. So, uh, so let's, if you want, I can go through which, which, what, what these ads are as far as, all right, I've got it pulled up here. So one is the spokesperson anchor ad. That's kind of the, the thing I explained. We sometimes call it the everything ad because it has all the other seven types inside of it. So it's usually a minute and a half long. That's the ideal length that we have found. Um, the other is a product demo. I think, I don't think I need to explain that. I think everyone knows what that is. Obviously there's different ways to do product demos. You could do uh, stop motion animation. You could do a side-by-side -side comparison. Uh, you could show it being, un uh, there's all sorts of different ways to do it. Uh -huh. Third is social proof. So this is just third-party credibility. So whether this is a press feature, whether this is a collage of testimonials, uh, whether it's your review rating, whatever that is, there's, there's tons of different ways to do testimonials and things like that. Uh, sometimes this also includes UGC, user-generated content, a bunch of users just showing themselves using the product, talking about it. Four is uh, dynamic ads, sometimes like we call closer ads. Those are basically where people just take a bunch of clips together and they're running them in retargeting. So a lot of drop shippers use these, a lot of Chinese uh, manufacturers use these kind of ads. It's actually a pretty common ad type. Uh, you won't see a lot of the like top 1000 brands though doing, doing this. Uh, five is a case study. So that's any type of empirical evidence um, that could be also a side-by-side -side comparison. Uh, one of the most popular case studies is a before and after, um, but there, there could be clinical studies, clinical trials. There could be talking about the ingredients, talking about the materials that go into the creation, uh, just showing, proving that this product is, is quality. Six is lifestyle. And that's just showing what you will feel like and what your life might look like uh, with this product. It's, it's really a big one, in, especially in apparel. And then seventh is unboxing. And that's the one I missed, is just showing the product being open, the gratification of, mm. of kind of that uh, experience. Gratification of ownership. Now, if somebody is struggling with getting, trying to increase their video ad performance, they're struggling just getting people to watch a lot of it or interact or, or take action, where would they start? Is it to incorporate one of those seven? It depends on what vertical, I mean, what would you tell them? Uh, if they want to get started? Well, if they want to have better results. So take a look at your ad account and just look at what you're currently doing and see if there are, are things that, that you need to build and you need to try. And the, the beauty of this seven foundational ad thing is it just, it just shows you what you're not doing. And um, about 80% of the accounts that I see have not tested all of these categories. The, the most glaring, the most often one is the spokesperson ad. And it's really interesting because only 2% of the top 1% of ads from the top 2000 Shopify stores is a spokesperson ad 
But what's what's so uh, kind of crazy about that is that spokesperson ads in an ideal mix usually get about 20, 30% of the overall performance huh. in certain industries. So that's, that's just um, an ad that a lot of brands don't make because they either just uh, don't want to invest because it's, it's, it's it, the spokesperson ad has all the other seven ad types within it, you know, and, um, and it doesn't work great for every industry, but it works for most of them. And so a lot of brands, they just don't really make that, you know, kind of investment into that. So for anyone that's wanting to really expand, that's my advice is make sure you have made every single one of these seven ads and tested it and then continue iterating within these categories. So social proof, for example, you want to make, you want to, you want to test two or three long form unedited social proof ads and uh, testimonials. So this is just somebody with their iPhone it looks raw, they're in their home and they're just talking about it for like a minute and a half or a minute. Then you want to have a testimonial collage. So you want to have seven or eight different testimonials that are all edited back to back. Then you want to have that same ad, but like highly produced with motion graphics and music and fast moving stuff with, with um, text overlays and, and things like that. Um, and then you want to have, uh, you know, show the reviews that you have is one video, the reviews. So if you have Amazon reviews or walmart.com or, or, um, you know, any, any type of other site, Yelp or whatever that is, that should be an ad. Then if you have any press features, you should be showing seven or eight press features, um, you know, with, with hyped up music behind it. And then (laughs) then you want to have a collage of all of these things in one ad as well. So just within social proof, just in, in one vein, I mean, you, you could make seven or eight different ads. And generally I've seen, there's about 10 ways to do each of these ads is, is what I've seen. And obviously there's endless creative executions, but as far as like the actual ad type, these seven ad categories make up for about a hundred different types of ads. Wow. So how long you're creating all these ads? How long do you run each until you decide if it's a keeper to continue running or or go on to a different format? Yeah. So it's more of how much you spend really. And generally speaking with within a few hundred dollars on an ad, you can usually get enough to see what's going to happen within an ad set. And usually within an ad set, you want to have about 25 conversions. 25 conversions is where Facebook really starts being able to optimize and use the full power of their algorithm. Um, Below that, it's just kind of trying to throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So Uh, let's, uh, let's talk about Facebook. So you guys, you're creating ads for Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Pinterest. Is it mostly Facebook? Is that where you're seeing most of the results or is it across? How, how's that working? It's 60% Facebook, 40% other platforms. So Google search and YouTube are about 30% uh-huh. of that pie. And then Pinterest and TikTok are generally the, the remainder of that pie. Okay. And what about the new 
Facebook targeting the the um, the recent privacy fight between Facebook and Apple. How how is that affecting what you're doing? So that's been interesting because we've seen a lot of brands and agencies get killed off by that iOS update because they were overly dependent and overly focused on the, the advanced and rich targeting features of Facebook. We have always thought that this targeting window is never going to happen again. This is the only time we think that platforms have, have grown so fast and so quickly that all this targeting was available, but we knew that eventually, even if it wasn't shut down for, for, uh, by Apple or, or some iOS privacy update, we knew at some point it was going to just be shut down by competition or, or, um, you know, legal, uh, laws or, or anything like that. And so we always relied on what's always worked, which is brand marketing. And so we've always invested a lot into our, our messaging and our creative and, and have always tried to focus on larger, more broad audiences and to use the creative itself to get people to select self self select. So for example, the old way of doing marketing is I'm going to run something as cheap as I can. And I'm going to get the cheapest clicks that I can. I'm going to get the most people for the little, littlest amount of money to my website. And then I'm going to get my website to convince them to purchase. The problem is once they're there, you've already paid for them to be there, uh-huh. which is a big problem. Our approach is let's make a longer, more, more expensive, well, better produced creative because views are significantly cheaper than clicks. And we don't want everyone clicking. We want everyone viewing and deciding on whether they're a customer or not before they go to the website. Huh. And then the other thing is people don't like to read. So once we get to the website, we don't want people really having to read. We want them to already have been educated on exactly what it is that they want and they're ready to buy. For example, Mr. Cool, an AC unit, $1,500 product, the highest converting page for a long time was the checkout page, just the product page, like your standard Amazon product page, basically, with very little information. And the video had just sold people on it and they trusted the brand and they just went for it. So that's the, that's the importance and in, in the way that we've been able to avoid the iOS update. And we have only seen a 4% drop overall uh, across our accounts. There's been two or three accounts that have been hit especially hard, but of the dozens and dozens of accounts that we have, we've been able to maintain. So with this high-end creative, are you producing that in-house or where, where's that getting done? Yeah, so we've just got a army of of creators that are in-house, full, full, full-time employees with health insurance that show up every day and their their mission is to just create content. And then we have an ad team as well. So about a third of our team is our ad buyers. And then we have these account managers and these research strategists that connect the tissue between those two disciplines. To, to use the software that we have, this database that we have called The Brain, to ensure that we are creating the very highest likelihood ad type for that client. And then it's just an iterative process where you just basically continue to go down the list. And, and what's cool too is we even have a chart for um, what the highest performing ad types are by industry. 
So, um, so we're not just, you know, we're not a one trick pony when it comes to women's skincare or mm-hmm. men's apparel or, or jewelry. We've got a kind of a game plan and historic data for all those categories to figure out which creative needs to be made. And, and the whole reason for this is I, it just used to drive me insane at Crispin Porter and Bergeski because it was just like people just have these ideas and the ideas were always focused on winning awards. And that's how everybody did it. That's how everybody is still doing it at these big brands. What's going to win us awards? And, the, and I noticed that usually stuff that wins awards does not convert. It, it gets the agency more business, but it usually doesn't perform for the bottom line. But you've got these corporate lifers inside the brand that also want awards. And uh-huh. so they play along with it too, because they don't, they don't care about the company. They care about progressing their career and being featured you know, in, in the press, in the marketing press. And so it's just, you, you have a real big problem and it's just a massive waste of, of resources. And so, you know, seven years ago, I really set out to try and solve this problem of how can we make creative that converts and that performs that also, you know, looks good for the brand, but we don't care about awards. We don't apply for them. Now, let me, let me ask, do you have a favorite success story of, of a client that came to you that after maybe struggling to get results, came to you and has done well with you guys? One of my favorites is Transparent Labs. So they got some really good SEO rankings through affiliate marketing, and they were doing about 100, 200 grand a month in sales that way. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kind of like, the, that's kind of how every e-commerce brand got started like 10 years ago is you get some SEO and then you just collect that traffic and then you get into a bunch of press features and you get a bunch of affiliates that write about you. You get on a bunch of blogs and boom. But that doesn't really work anymore. The real estate rush is over for that game. And so it was interesting because they hired us because they wanted us to add another acquisition channel and this was about four years ago, four and a half years ago. Facebook ads were still kind of new. Um, so we launched with, with this video production and this ad spend. And um, pretty much within six weeks, we were spending 100 grand a month and getting a million a month in sales. And we were able to take wow. Transparent Labs over a million a month on $150,000 ad spend. And, um, you know, between the cost of goods and the cost of ads and everything, their margin was pretty good. They were, they're making some good money. And about four months later, they lost uh, about 80% of those affiliate SEO search rankings. So that business would have gone from 200 grand a month down to about 30, 40 grand a month overnight. Instead, we were able to scale to the moon and two and a half years later, they were able to get acquired for, for $10 million dollars between, between those two partners. And, um, it was a great, it was a great, you know, two and a half year kind of case study for that business. Great. Now on the other side, is there any challenges that you've struggled with, with your agency on, on trying to get results for your clients? Yeah, we had some huge failures. One of the first ones was for a mattress brand. And, and I don't remember if, if you remember this, but do you remember six years ago when the mattress, the box mattress madness happened? No, no. So you had all these brand new brands like Casper, 
um, Purple, um, Tucked and Needle, all these brands came out. And we got hired by this one company to launch their new box mattress brand. But then they had some budget delays. And in the eight months between when we were supposed to launch and when we actually launched, the number of box mattress brands went from about 12 to over 100 in the United States. Wow. And what had happened in that time is that these market leaders had actually contracted backdoor deals with Facebook for white labeled uh, gated inventory. Casper was one of the main culprits in this and Casper's done all sorts of shady things in that industry. But, but basically they, they gated they gated off this inventory. So Facebook didn't allow other mattress brands to even access probably a good 50, 60% of this, this inventory to serve ads to people. Oh. So we launched and our video wasn't good. We thought at that time that if we make a big enough produced video with enough scenes and props and actors and stuff, it'll just overwhelm people and convert. Well, we got so distracted by all of that, that we kind of, the message just got lost. The sales message was just totally lost in that whole thing. And it tanked and it tanked bad. I think we, we launched like a hundred grand in spend and it only sold like 40 grand in mattresses. Oh no. That company didn't make it. That company kind of eked on for a year or two. And I, I think they're still making mattresses now, but uh -huh. But that, that pretty much, like our campaign pretty much killed that company. And I, I think they were doomed anyways because of all of the competition. But we spent probably 150, 200 grand all in all between the video production and the ad spend. And, um, and it was pretty sad. That was a pretty sad day. Huh. Um, now, so, we, yeah. we, we touched on it a bit as far as you started the business with, with little to no money, but you know, definitely inspiration now. You've gotten to the point you're, you're managing this big team. It's a growing agency. You're taking vacation. You're working four days a week. How would you say to somebody would be the best way for them to start a business if they had little to no money? In, in ad buying? In anything. Sell your time first. Sell, sell, start with a service. Sell your time. Don't don't try to go get inventory. Don't try uh -huh. to build a big brand. Don't do, even don't go raise money. I think almost every business should start as a service first. There's even a lot of SaaS companies, big SaaS company, unicorn billion dollar companies that started with the service first uh -huh. of, hey, let us solve this problem for you as a service provider. And then we'll build software on that. And uh, I think that's the way to go. So like, if you want to, let's say you want to start a men's apparel brand, you don't have big connections, you don't have a lot of capital, maybe learn the art of design first and sell oh, your God. services for designing men's apparel or go to China, go to Bangladesh, go to India, go visit all these factories, make relationships with these factories and go sell your supply, supply chain services, your time to other people. Because what you'll do is you'll gain experience with other people's money and you'll learn this industry inside and out. 
and you'll also be able to save money. And if you're good, you'll be able to make your six figures a year, hopefully multiple six figures. And then you'll be able to start build a brand, to build a brand. You'll also start to build case studies. And then you will be, you know, you will be an expert in that thing. And then you can go raise money. Then you can, you have revenue. You can get a bank loan if you want. You have a business that's actually a real thing that has domain expertise, that has a place in this industry. Uh-huh. So I think people need to start with services. And, and when you start with a product too soon, if you've got too much capital, if you've got too much investment, you've got you know too many, too many connections, then your product's probably going to suck. You've got to eke it out with selling your time in the beginning. And when you're selling your time, do you feel that it's better to go with that solo, to find a business partner, to find a few business partners? Yeah. Where, I, would, where would you be on that? I've had a high failure rate with partners, um, given though most of my projects were pretty small. But uh, the original members of Chamber were not willing to leave their jobs after we had done a million dollars in revenue. And so... We actually came to an agreement where I started a completely new entity and they just kept one of our clients. Um, and so, you know, that didn't work out. And then a year later, our, I had an intern that was really great. And uh, after about two or three years of working together, I, I actually made him a partner. So this is what I'll say about partnerships. Partnerships, I think, usually are the way to go. Usually you only want to have two. You don't want to have three or four partners. There's too many voices, too many people. And then my advice to partnerships is there always has to be one person that's in charge. Don't do a 50-50 partnership ever. Um, it's got to be 60-40, 70-30. There's got to be somebody who's at, at the end of the day, it's their thing, they're in charge, and we're all part of it. And now, um, yeah. That's, yeah, no, that's great advice. Now back to Chamber Media and what you guys are doing, what problems do you feel that you're solving for? for your clients and, and how would you say you're standing out from the competition? Yeah. So there's a lot of messages that we've tried that have worked. Um, we've multiplied the revenue of six multi-million dollar companies. Um, just showing the scale and size of our operation and us being like the Henry Ford production line for uh-huh. video and ad buying has worked really well and just showing people inside how our operation works because um, in our industry, there's just a lot of kind of fly by night online business kind of people. And um, they do all sorts of crazy things to get credibility. Some of them will like rent Lamborghinis to try and show their success. Some of them um, will rent like really nice office space to have a cool background and so I think just showing like, now look, like we're a $15 million a year company with hundred people that's helped a lot, uh-huh. you know? Um, but when we didn't have that, when we were only 10, 15 people, we really had to kind of use our small size kind of as our strength as like, we'll give you more attention. Um, we were very focused on case studies, performance-based. And so, you know, we would like, specifically message that it's not good to go with a big agency you want to work with directly with the founders and you're going to get their time sure yeah no no yeah you want to take advantage of what what you're doing for sure yeah hey so a lot of truth to that too 
you know. Now, how would you define what services that you offer clients? It's pretty much um, video production, ad buying, and email marketing, pretty much. Okay. okay. And what, what makes the perfect client for your agency? Who, who are you almost going to be able to guarantee you're going to help and be very successful doing? The, higher, the highest success rate we have are with brands that are already doing well, of course. Success begets success. What we have seen is uh, about 70% of the brands that sign on with us are already doing over $500,000 a year in revenue. And then the, our, high, our, high, our more expensive packages have a higher success rate. So people that do our anchor video program, you know, which is six figures, mm-hmm. have the highest success rates. Now, I don't really think that that's necessarily because that program works better than the other programs. I think it's more correlation than causation. I just think that the business is generally just in a better place okay. to be able to scale and to do well. So, so that, that's kind of the, the most, the highest success potential. A lot of times brands will come through and they, they kind of want to give us their last penny. And um, those, those have a very high fail rate um, if, if we even work with them. So those are, and then if you look at just the actual products themselves too, we usually like to see that cost of goods delivered is under 40%. So if it's too expensive to manufacture and ship the product, that's a high chance of failure. Um, We like to see too, usually if they have a high reorder rate or a high lifetime value Uh where, or high average order value, um, that's really good too. If people are buying it over and over again, or when they buy, they're buying more than one. The other thing we see is brands that have multiple products do better. Single product brands are just a very high risk and you're not, you're not really getting the extra money out of the customer. Once you have three or four complementary products, the chances go way up. Um, and then also just having other sales channels too. We've noticed that Brands that maybe have a ranking on Amazon or search search uh, ads do well for them, or they have an influencer program that does well, or they're in retail. Uh-huh. Usually, two or three sales channels is a high indicator of growth. Now, do you work exclusively with DTC direct to consumer brands? Yeah, that's that's the majority. It's about seventy percent of our customer base. What's what's the other thirty? Uh, services, local, local businesses, services, oh, you do have services. Okay. okay. Um, B2B, uh, SaaS software stuff that th- those categories kind of fill out mo- for the most part, the rest of it. Got it. So how could an interested listener, whether they're perfect or not, if they wanted to learn more about working with you, how would they contact you? Yeah. So, um, uh, chamber.media is our website. There's no S on that. We have a contact form. That's a really good place. Um, also I'm really active on LinkedIn. I post, uh, thought leadership stuff there almost every day. And then I'm on Instagram as well. Um, at Travis underscore chambers. Great. And I'm, well, thank I'm, really, you. I'm super responsive on Instagram. Especially. Instagram. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, thank you very much. This has been fantastic, Travis. Well, thank you. Incredible questions. 
Great. Well, that is it for today. Remember, if you like this episode, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave an honest review. And if you're looking for more information regarding Chamber Media or connecting with Travis, you'll find the links in the show notes below. In addition, if you're looking for more information on growing your business using Google Paid Ads, request to join the Make Each Click Count Facebook group. I've been releasing some brand new free live trainings and more will be happening soon. In the meantime, remember to stay safe, keep healthy and happy marketing. And I will talk to you in the next episode. This has been the Make Each Click Count podcast. Remember, those that want to make more sales and profits online, listen to this podcast. The ones that want to discover how to do it faster, invest in themselves and their business through Make Each Click Count University. Join our private Make Each Click Count Facebook group or send us an email to info at makeeachclickcount.com. We want to know who you are and any questions that you may have regarding online marketing.